and welcome back to Tapping Into Crypto. If you are just joining us, this is the podcast for all things cryptocurrency, whether you're a beginner, a Bitcoin veteran, or just crypto curious. Now, you may have noticed we were missing our usual Monday episodes, and that is because we are doing something really exciting this year with so much going on in crypto world and so much changing every single week. We are going to be bringing you crypto catch-ups every single week on Thursdays and letting you know the latest news as it happens. Now, in today's episodes, we are doing a throwback to an episode that got lots of love and is very timely night now. We are joined by Chris Pavlicic from Coinstop and going to unpacking everything around storing your crypto. So using hot wallets, cold wallets, and the common mistakes that so many people have made, which see them lose absolutely everything. So let's dive in. Welcome to the podcast, Chris Pavlesic from Coinstop. It is so lovely to have you here with us today. Thanks so much, Alicia. It's, it's great to be a part of this. And we were just chatting uh, before we hit record. You're actually off on a very exciting trip very soon, which is a, a new thing for us here in Australia that we're actually allowed to leave the country, which is so cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm lucky enough to be heading over to El Salvador in Central America, which as many of the Bitcoiners and crypto folks know, is you know the first country to officially adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. So this is going to be a, a huge eye-opener for me being a Bitcoiner and, and being part of this journey for you know close part of 10 years now. So I'm really excited, you know, to be there on the ground and actually see what it's like. For me, it feels like a really big moment in history. Um, yeah. You know, obviously I'm biased because <laughs> I'm totally involved with with the stuff. But um, yeah, I can't wait to see what it's like. Oh my gosh, and maybe see what our future might look like as well, all around the world. It's going to be really yeah, exactly. cool. So, for those who haven't followed your journey and don't know about CoinStop just yet, can you give us a little bit of background of what CoinStop is and how you came to be running it? Yeah, sure. So, CoinStop has been around since 2016. And basically, when we kind of were first getting into crypto and Bitcoin, we were looking at sort of places to store it. And obviously, we heard all the horror stories about losing your coins, exchanges being hacked and, and everything in between. So we were looking for a, you know some way secure to store our, our Bitcoin. And we found that there wasn't really anything available in Australia at the time. And so we had to buy these devices from overseas and we thought, okay, well, here's an opportunity. We mustn't be the only folks wanting to get our hands on one of these. So why don't we buy a small box and, and see what happens? And so, yeah, it was 2016, November. It's actually our, our five-year anniversary this month. No so um, yeah, pretty big achievement for a bunch of you know, five best mates that kind of didn't really know what we were doing, but you know, saw an opportunity and just kind of ran with it. But yeah, so so. Five years ago now, we, uh, we started Coinstop, um, you know, Australia's first and now largest hardware wallet reseller. So we're all, all about providing secure storage solutions for pe- people's cryptocurrencies and educating them about why it's important as well. As I always say to people, we're educators first, salesmen second. Um, these things typically sell themselves once you've kind of walked people through the journey of the risks and what these things do to alleviate those risks. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the foray into the space for us is we, we took a little punt Back in 2016, you know, fast forward, we timed it really, really well, obviously, because 2017 was kind of how this year's been for crypto. You know, it was a boom, it was a bull run. We got a lot of luck there by, by watching the market naturally and organically grow. So obviously our sales and revenue grew alongside that. And, you know, it's, you can actually chart our sales and, and put it right next to Bitcoin. And it's pretty much identical, <laughs> even almost down to the daily level, which is just absurd. It's been one of the, one of the most interesting data points, actually, to kind of project price of Bitcoin is to look at our sales. 
uh, which obviously you know not everyone has insight to, but um, yeah. we've been lucky enough to have that data over the last five years, and it's yeah, it's stayed pretty true all throughout. Oh my gosh. I can imagine. And we are going to be chatting about all things wallets today and why they're useful and what the different types are, because I know it almost feels like a little black hole when you start looking and it can get overwhelming really fast because you're like, well, there are so many options and so many different things to consider and think about. So we're going to break down all of that today. Before we do, the one question we ask every guest to tapping into crypto is what was your very first crypto purchase and do you still have it now? Oh, it was, of course, of course, the king. Um, good Bitcoin. I'm not going to say exactly when, cause it's depressing, <laughs> um, when you know what's happened to it, but yeah, I got, you know, my first Bitcoin was, was a long, long time ago. And back then it was like what most people thought of it, you know, fake internet money. Um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't even read the white paper. I had no idea that it was an asset class. I mean, it wasn't, it was, like I said, it was just fake internet money. So, you yeah. know, my understanding of it back then was very, very amateur and I kind of didn't gain the true understanding and respect for it until about 2015, kind of when I circled back to it and looked at it and thought, okay, this thing's still around. Awesome. Let's actually look at it a bit more seriously this time. And that's kind of when I fell down the rabbit hole, like most of us have in the space. Once you actually start to understand it, you just fall in love with it. So yeah, I I don't unfortunately have any of that early, early Bitcoin that I, I got my hands on a long time ago. But you know, a lot of us have that story. Like nearly everyone that we speak to. And it's why we love asking that question and having those conversations so much because everyone has gone through that same journey. And those crypto winters were really tough to get through for so many people. And you know, when you're going on the journey and look back at where Bitcoin has been and where it's gone and the conversations that have gone around it, the world we live in today is so different to even almost a year ago. The conversations were so different. So yeah, it's that one of our favorite 100%. questions to ask. Love that. The space moves so damn quickly. Hard to keep up with it. Even in a week. Oh my gosh, the week we've had has been very interesting. How good. So we have taught everyone how to purchase their crypto. They know about exchanges. We have episodes on DeFi. And now a few of our listeners like, cool, okay, I understand this. And like you, they believe in it long-term. They're like, this is what I want to do. And I really want to lock this away. So wallets and storage is something that is coming up a lot for us right now in the community. And we'd love to pick your brains a little bit about that and maybe even just start with what the different types of storage are that are available. Sure. Yeah. And it's probably the most important part of the puzzle. Whilst, you know, it's all well exciting to look at your your numbers go up and all the different applications of the technology that are being, you know, toyed with. At the end of the day, if you can't store your digital assets securely, none of that really matters. So, you know, what we do, I think is obviously we're biased, but I think is some of the most important stuff in the space, um, especially because of the nature of this stuff is it's decentralized, it's censorship resistant. There aren't any middlemen, there are no banks. You are reliant on the individual to take a lot of these things into their own hands. And so that is a, a quite a foreign concept to a lot of people when they come from traditional finance, where a lot of that is just passed on to to other custodians and they just give you access points through cards or online banking or whatever it might be. So there is a lot of education that has to happen here. So typically the two types of common wallets are usually what we call like online wallets or hot wallets and then offline wallets or or cold wallets as they're known as as well. So we'll start with hot wallets because that's what I think most people are accustomed to. So there are a number of different types of hot or online wallets. Typically, most people have used an exchange to purchase and store their cryptocurrency. These are hot wallets. These are online wallets. If you download something on your smartphone, like 
say Exodus or Trust Wallet or whatever it might be. Those are also online and hot wallets. The same can be said for PC as well. You can download standalone PC wallets um, and even say things like MetaMask for, for Chrome plugins. These are all types of hot wallets and online wallets where typically all of the key information is stored in an online environment. And so what you get is you get really convenient usage in those types of wallets. They're very nice. They're very sleek. They connect to websites, to Web3 websites. You know, you get all those nice benefits. But unfortunately, the thing you trade off for that is typically security. So it's one of those things that the way that they use it needs to be selective. You know, I, I certainly can't recommend storing large amounts of money on any of these types of hot wallets because they inherently are less secure than offline wallets. Because again, they store private keys in an online environment, which is typically not where you want them because a lot of the types of attacks that happen are done in online environments. So again, exchange hacks, you know, malware, key logging software, screen capturing software. This is all stuff that you can typically be attacked and, you know, your funds have been stolen in a remote way. Like someone doesn't need to actually have access to your PC to be able to f- perform these attacks. Yeah. And I, I'd love to know, like, have you seen examples of that? Over the last few years, like, are there any things that have happened in the crypto space with hot wallets? Oh, take your pick. I mean, you know, it's honestly, it's in the trillions, the amount of money that have been stolen, lost, attacked from either exchanges or, or hot wallets or online environments through smart contract exploits. You know, it's trillions. It's just ridiculous. And it's going to continue to happen because it's got that inherent flaw where, you know, these things are connected to the internet. And so the best security tends to happen offline um, because those remote style attacks essentially are made ineffective by having private keys stored offline. So, you know, some of the big ones, obviously, like Binance was hacked for 40 odd million, I think it was um, a year or two ago. Quadriga is a Canadian exchange where the CEO went missing in India and passed away and he was the only one that had the private keys. So that meant all of the customers' funds were frozen. There's a bunch of conspiracies around all this stuff as well, but <laughs> that's typically what's been told as the story. Mt. Gox is obviously some of the most famous ones as well because it dates back to essentially early days Bitcoin. So storing your assets in an exchange whilst convenient for trading and, and making movements around, if, if that's what you're doing, it's certainly historically not a secure platform to put that. So you know any good exchange operator should tell you that as well. Obviously, it goes against kind of what they're trying to do, which is, you know, have liquidity on their platform for people to be able to trade and whatnot. But at the end of the day, if the platform's exploited, no one's got liquidity, you know, that the hackers got it. So yeah, those are probably some of the, the big examples. But yeah, I mean, you just quickly Google and you'll find plenty. Yeah, 100%. And looking up any of those names, like if you just do a quick Google search now, um, it's insane. And so that is just proof for you guys that it's not just things that people are talking about. We're saying this might happen. It has happened. And of course, everyone's trying to up their security game. And um, we will have an episode that talks about all things security and what things you should be looking for in exchange, what things that you should be doing on an exchange to increase your security yourself as an individual. But yeah, it's happened before and it will continue to happen, as you said. So cold wallets are obviously very appealing now that we've heard that. Can you uh, lead us a little bit more into what cold wallets actually are and what different types there are? Yeah, cool. Perfect segue. So cold wallets are definitely a step up in terms of security. So fundamentally, the main feature of a cold storage hardware wallet is to generate and store your private key offline and in the physical device itself inside the secure element of the device. That's essentially it. I mean, it obviously does 
some more stuff than that and, and has some more security features. But at the crux of it, that's the one important piece right there is that compared to hot wallets where those private keys or recovery phrases are stored in an online environment, meaning they can be attacked. With a hardware wallet, they're generated and stored offline, meaning the only real way someone can get access to your keys, your private keys, is through a physical attack. You know, they came to your home and they held a knife to your throat and said, you know, give me your hardware wallet. And and at the end of the day, nothing is really going to protect against that other than a bigger knife. But, you know, I'm certainly not, (laughs) I'm not suggesting people should be violent, but all those attacks that I mentioned previously are essentially eliminated instantly by using a hardware wallet correctly. So... Obviously, there's additional features on top of that as well. For instance, when you sign for a transaction, which is typically the most important part, you know, I can share with you and the listeners my Bitcoin public address, and you're more than welcome to send me Bitcoin at any time of the day for as long as you want. I don't need to give you permission to do that. But the moment I want to spend from my Bitcoin wallet, well, that's something I should have complete control in. And so using a hot wallet or using an exchange, you are handing over those keys to other people. You know, you're you're placing trust in them to to manage them securely and and efficiently for you. Whereas on a hardware wallet, you're taking on all of that responsibility yourself, meaning no one else has access to your funds, only you through your hardware wallet, which is the private key, which signs for transactions. So it's a big step up in security. Again, obviously there's like lots of ancillary features if you get down into the deeps of staking involved on some hardware wallets. But at the end of the day, that's the core function of what a hardware wallet does is that it generates and stores your private keys offline compared to online, reducing all of those attack vectors that are previously discussed. Yeah, for sure. And so if someone hasn't even seen a cold wallet before, can you explain to people what they look like? Because it just sounds like, oh, what's this thing? What is it going to do for me? How's it going to arrive? All of those little things as well. Yeah, well, here's one I prepared earlier. <laughs> so this is what they call a Ledger Nano S. So it's just like a little, almost looks like a little USB stick. It has a tiny little screen on it and a couple of buttons to do some basic commands and functions. But they come in different shapes and sizes, but more or less, they're kind of like that. They, they look like a USB stick or, or like a mini hard drive. But obviously on the inside, they've got some extra bits and pieces to make it more secure and to do some other things than what a typical standard USB stick would do, obviously. They can come in like credit card styles. So some of the ones that we have on our website, like a cool wallet that basically would slide in just like a, like a debit card would in your wallet. And so that gives like a different sort of user experience compared to something like the one that I just held up now, which requires a cable to plug into a PC through a USB port. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, at the core, they all do the same thing. It's kind of like smartphones, right? Um, you know, what's the difference between a Samsung and LG and iPhone? At the end of the day, not that much. They all make phone calls. They all download apps. They all connect to the internet. You know, you can send videos, you can do pictures, you can do all those things, but like some have slightly better camera features or some have, you know, slightly nicer UI or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, at, at its core, they do the same thing. And it's a similar type. You can use that analogy with hardware wallets. Like, the end of the day, they all do the same security thing at, at its core, but then they get packaged up slightly differently for different user experiences. Yeah, for sure. And before we dive into you know how to put your crypto on a wallet, I'd love to dive a little bit more into those additional features. Like you mentioned staking, uh, which is a really cool thing if, if someone hasn't heard of that before. Are there any other, I guess, really standout add-ons that come with some certain cold wallets over others? Yes and no. Like for instance, like the Cool Wallet or the Ledger Nano X, they come with Bluetooth. So that means you can kind of use them on the go. I mean, not that maybe most people would do that with a hardware wallet because that's typically where they store the bulk of their digital assets. And so 
you're probably not walking around with the bulk of your digital assets in your pocket. But theoretically, you could do that and you could trade from a smartphone with one of these Bluetooth-enabled devices, which is quite convenient. So those those are typically kind of like higher-end features. It doesn't really change anything in terms of security, just makes it a bit more of a pleasant user experience. You know, there, are, there is not one single hardware wallet in the world that stores every single crypto asset known to man and woman. There's no way they can keep up. These things are being yeah. released far too quickly. So, you know, typically Ledger and Trezor are kind of seen as the sort of dominant two hardware wallet brands in the marketplace. Again, it's kind of like smartphones, funnily enough. You've got iPhones and Samsungs kind of dominate the market. And then you've got some sort of brands below them that are still great products. In, the, in their right mind, but they obviously just are marketed differently, have a different market share. And that's kind of how it is with hardware wallets as well. So, you know, it's hard to do a complete comparison of all the intricate features of the different brands. And, you know, I'd, I'd employ any of the listeners to go check them out either through our website or the, directly through the manufacturer's websites. There's plenty of content on both websites and on YouTube to disseminate all the different features that make up these hardware wallets. So that's Again, our primary kind of offering is we educate people about these things and then help them make the best rational decision. And there is so much incredible education on your website. Like it is amazing the amount of content you have out there for people to learn and to really understand what they're buying before they buy it. So um, at an extraordinarily high level, because it's something very difficult to explain, but how would you describe to someone once they've bought their wallet, they've decided they're going to go a cold storage wallet or hot, even, how do they transfer their crypto from an exchange to a wallet? Yeah, sure. So once you've set up a wallet, like you said, be it a hot wallet or a cold storage wallet, ideally one where you control the private keys. Obviously, preferred is that the private keys are generated offline and stored offline through a hardware wallet. But if that's not the case, if, for instance, maybe you're not at that part of your journey just yet, you know, I'm not going to recommend someone buy a hardware wallet, spend $100, $200 on a hardware wallet for $50 worth of Bitcoin. You, know, you still need to do a little bit more learning and you know, perhaps add to your size of your portfolio before you justify a purchase like that. But typically, whatever the style of wallet, you'll obviously create a new wallet. Dependent on the, the wallet will be what types of assets it's compatible with. Obviously, pretty much most wallets will be compatible with the big type players, Bitcoin, Ethereum, those kind of names. Um, but you know, have a look that it supports the asset that you purchased on the exchange, assuming it does then you'll be able to generate a receiving address or what we call a public address. And that's what you basically give out to people in order to be able to receive to that wallet. And so I use a nice analogy. It's kind of like a BSB in account number. So if you know if I was going to get Alicia to send me some money because she owed me 20 bucks of pizza, I'd say, you know, here's my BSB in account number. That's where you can send $20. And that's kind of like the public information or the public address. And so that's what you would essentially log into your exchange platform there'll be some type of area where there's a withdraw functionality. Head into that section. You'll obviously be able to choose the, the asset that you wish to withdraw. Let's use Bitcoin, for instance. You'd hover over Bitcoin. It'd show your balance. You'd say, okay, well, I want to withdraw some Bitcoin. It's then going to ask you, where would you like us to send this Bitcoin? And that's where you would then take that receiving address or the public address that you generated from that newly created wallet, be it hot wallet or cold storage. Take that Bitcoin address paste it into the exchange platform where it asks, where do you want us to send to? Obviously, then it asks you, how much do you want to send? You know, you choose your amount and basically you hit OK. There might be some additional security steps, which I would expect for any good exchange to do. Um, you know, 2FA through Google authentication or, or email authentication or text message authentication, something like that. Maybe even a trading password or something like that as well. Uh, once you've 
you've navigated all those steps and they've confirmed the withdrawal, as soon as they actually perform and process that, most of the time it's automatic, depending on, I think most exchanges have like a tolerance, like a threshold. As long as you're not over X amount, it'll go through kind of automatically um, for any high amounts. Sometimes they need manual approval. At least this is what it was like when I used to work in an exchange a few years ago. Processes might've changed between then and now. But yeah, once you've done that, then you know after the blockchain of that particular asset confirms that transaction, it'll appear in your hardware wallet or your hot wallet you've generated. And it's basically rinse and repeat for for all the different types of assets out there. There might be slight things where you need to leave memos and stuff like that, dependent on that particular chain. But at the end of the day, the process is pretty much the same. My gosh, Chris, I think that was the best explanation I've ever heard, especially for doing it without a visual representation, just an audio one. <laughs> um, so clear and concise and just makes it like, guys, this is not scary. It's not hard. It's not even challenging to do this stuff. You just need to know that you need to do it and then set yourself up with the right device to be able to do that. And we have heard in the past so many horror stories, like you touched on before with exchanges getting hacks. But in terms of even uh, storage solutions, there's always those stories you see pop up on Facebook and someone's lost their keys or lost their device itself. Now, most of this is common sense, but you've seen probably a lot of this in the past and in your time as well. Do you have any suggestions for people that they can do to increase their security or you know, the chance of something awful like that happening? Well, firstly, it's education and it's understanding some of the things that I've just touched on. So understanding the importance of a public address and understanding the importance of a private address and how to manage those securely and effectively. So like I mentioned, the public address is something that you can share freely with others. You know, obviously it, it, it does lead back to your assets. So, you know, from doxing yourself perspective, um, it, it may undo some of your privacy, of course, but it's not going to undo any of your, your security in terms of people being able to have access to your assets. And so understanding that and then understanding how private keys should be managed, which obviously are very important because they are the thing that allows people to touch and to send money out of wallets. And so that should definitely not be shared publicly. And so understanding those basic concepts is a good place to start because once you do, then you, you realize, okay, this is really, really important because everything starts from here. If I make great trades or whatever, but I've made this fundamental mistake of sharing my private address in an online environment, someone theoretically could just come swoop in all my assets and undo all of the hard work of trading that I've done over the last six months because I've just leaked one little bit of information. So it can be quite scary at the start. And that's why I always say start slow, You know, utilize exchanges for small amounts of money and start with hot wallets so you can understand the concept of you know, owning your own keys, even if they're not necessarily in the best environment, but at least the concept of owning your own keys, what you need to do with it, how to recover wallets if they're lost. I mean, this is probably the big question that we get once we speak people through this. They say, oh, well, what happens if I lose that little USB stick? Because it's an important question. And so when you set up the hardware wallet for the first time and you generate your password and your private keys, you are given what's known as a recovery phrase. And typically, this is either a 12, 18, or 24-word recovery phrase. And so this is the piece of information that's used to restore wallets if the hardware wallet itself ever malfunctions or you lose it or you forget your pin or you flush it down the toilet or the dog eats it, whatever happens to it. That 24 words is like your safety net. And it's a piece of hardware. Like It, you know, it can malfunction. Um, it likely has a shelf life like any piece of technology has a pretty good shelf life because it doesn't have too many complex parts to it. So it does last a long time. But yeah, understanding that those 24 words are 
what's going to save you if something goes wrong, if someone steals it, you lose it, you drop it in the toilet. That's really, really important. And so, you know, I can't stress that hard enough. Every single podcast, every time I speak, I emphasize this point the most because it is the most important point. Definitely. And it's funny, if you haven't done this before, recovery phrases, you'll see them and they just, they make me laugh. Every time I get one, I'm like, oh my God, like the words that are generated are so random. And that's the whole point of them. Like they are just complete random words that make no sense. And they would be something that is really hard to remember off the top of your head. So Chris, do you have any suggestions for people of where they should be storing this? Yeah, for sure. And so with hardware wallets, they use what's known as the BIP39 protocol, more or less. Most of them use this. And this is actually a publicly known word list. So there are 2,048 different words. And you can Google this. If you Google BIP39 seed words or recovery phrase list or anything like that, you'll get the list online. And so your hardware wallet generates 12, 18, or 24 random words from that list of 2,048. And that's what's given to you as your recovery phrase. So you can imagine... I'm not an expert mathematician, but there is a lot of combinations, like a hell of a lot of combinations. And so what most people do, if they're using a hot wallet, they'll typically often never even write it down. They'll just leave it in the hot wallet because you can always access it from the hot wallet at any time. But the problem is if the hot wallet goes down or you forget the password, you need the words and the words are only in the wallet. So you do need to back up the words at some point because that is what's going to save you. So, you know, most people will, and even with hardware wallets, you know, you actually prompted to write this down and confirm it because again, it is the most important step. So hardware wallets, you know, bake that into the design to make sure that you understand this, that yeah. you are writing these down correctly. Because if something goes wrong, you can't call me, you can't call the manufacturer, you can't call Bitcoin CEO. There's no one you can call. You're on your own. And that's what's often really scary, but, you know, really, really important to stress. So yeah, most people will typically write it down on a piece of paper and and that's okay. Again, that's offline. A piece of paper is offline. What I recommend not doing is like writing it on your phone in the notes or sending an email to yourself or taking a screenshot and saving it in your gallery on your phone. All of these things are online. Just ask yourself, can it be connected to the internet? So can a piece of paper be connected to the internet? No. It can't, right? So it's an adequate storage space for your recovery phrase. Whereas a smartphone, an email, these are all internet connected areas. So, you know, not advised. So, yes. um, yeah, you actually get a piece of paper inside the hardware wallet. You get a couple of pieces of paper, which has it numbered one, two, three, four, all the way to 24 and you write it down there. And so that's pretty good. That's adequate. Um, but you must now think to yourself, you know, is, is this a long term? Like for me, it's definitely a long term thing. And I think for a lot of people, it probably is a long term thing as well. And so a piece of paper is quite fragile and the ink could run, it could get burnt, it could get wet, it could get, you know, you could drop some coffee on it. You do that, the words are, are no longer readable. And so where people tend to then take the next step in terms of recovery, because like we've now identified these words are the most important thing. They're actually more important than the hardware wallet you've just bought because yeah. you could literally flush that down the toilet. Not that I advise doing this, but you could flush <laughs> that down the toilet, call me up, say, hey, Chris, can you send me a new hardware wallet? I flush it down the toilet. I'd say, you're an idiot. But okay, I'll send you one. You, yeah. you know, once you receive that, you import those 24 words on your piece of paper onto your new hardware wallet and voila, your accounts are restored. So it's, it's quite obvious that this is the most important piece of the puzzle. So mm-hmm. putting it on a piece of paper induces a little bit of anxiety for me because, you know, we live in a country where bushfires are pretty prone. And of course, I don't wish upon anyone's house to burn down. But you know, if that does happen, your words are not going to survive. Your hardware wallet probably won't survive either. 
Mm-hmm. But now it gets you thinking is like, where can I put my words? And so one of the products or a number of products that we sell on our store are, are basically titanium or like stainless steel grade pieces of metal that you can either etch, slide tiles, engrave, hole punch, or there's a few different styles, but effectively it's the same end result. The idea is that you're now putting those words onto a piece of steel, which is prone to melting from fires, electrical shocks, water damage, rust damage. And so, you know, in that unfortunate event where your house burns down, you know, there's going to be a lot of damage. Your hardware wallet will be burnt, but at the bottom of the rubble will be this piece of steel that has 24 random words on it and your digital assets will be safe because of that. Obviously, you know, that may not be something that most people think about or, you know, maybe you live nowhere near anywhere that could burn down. But at the end of the day, it is a piece of paper that's fragile ink will just run, you know, after 10 years, I would be, you know, look at a receipt, even after 12 months of a receipt stuck in your wallet, like, oh, crap, I can't read anything on that receipt. So, you know, it's it's worth thinking about for sure, if you've got significant amount of money. Yes. And there are so many people that are in the game now, like we are still such early stages of crypto, you know, 10 years time, this is going to look very different. And how devastated would you be if you couldn't access that? So yeah, it might feel a little extreme, but the number of people that I see get wallets and then store that recovery phase in their phone, I'm like, what are you doing? You're just basically undoing everything that you've done by getting a cold store at which wallet by putting the most important part in your phone. So I'm so glad you brought that up. A hundred percent. Like, and look, I, I can't say there's like one perfect system. There's obviously great places to start and a hardware wallet, I think is a no brainer, like for a very low cost. Like we're, we're talking about from as little as like a hundred bucks Australian, you can get a hardware wallet and that cannot be understated how much of a, of a leap that is from a hot wallet or from an exchange in terms of security. It's a massive leap. Like it's huge. Just doing that small thing for a small cost, you can add on additional things like the steel plate. They're only slight increases, but like the leap from a hot wallet to a cold wallet is ginormous. It's massive. The general rule of thumb I usually say to people is if you were to wake up tomorrow and all of your crypto assets were gone, would it be life-changing in terms of it negatively life-changing? So, you know, that number is different for everyone. Someone might be like a thousand bucks. That's going to sting a lot. Some people think a thousand bucks is nothing. So, you know, whatever that number is for you, Start having the conversation whenever you've answered yes to that question that it would negatively impact you, you know, significantly because that's the moment you should be thinking about your security. Definitely. And Chris, there's been so much incredible advice here and so much more on your website as well. Do you have anything else that you'd share with someone who's just starting out in the crypto world? Oh, look, do plenty of research, plenty of reading. I know the natural instinct is to FOMO into things because... You feel like maybe you're late to the party and everything's going wild and you're seeing all your friends make tons of money. And, you know, in these moments in a cycle where everything's booming and everyone's really bullish, it, it can be easy to forget the fundamental principles and you will get stung by them. I will guarantee it. You will be stung because this market will not live on forever like this. And when it does change and you've not adequately looked after yourself, Again, there is no one else you can go calling to when that goes wrong. So spend the time, do the fundamental research, do the fundamental learnings to understand the guts of it. And then, you know, you, then you've set yourself up to succeed because if you're forgetting the most important step and then you're going berserkers out there, like the rest of the market is, you will undo yourself very, very quickly. So plenty of stuff on YouTube, podcasts like this, there's stuff online. You know, our blog, we do a weekly blog about a whole bunch of stuff mostly obviously around storage and security, but other topics too. When I started in 2012, there was nothing. 
there was absolutely nothing. Like there was a white paper and that's about it in a couple of forums. Like, so it took me a long time to understand these concepts. Whereas right now, you know, you could literally Google this and you'd be fed with tens of YouTube videos all telling you how to do this step by step. So, you know, go out there. The internet is your friend. There's plenty of stuff out there. And also just take your time. There's no need to rush. Anytime you're doing a, a transaction for the first time, do a small test transaction. There's no need to send, you know, significant amounts of money to some wallet that you just set up. Because what if you've got it wrong? Mm-hmm. I'd rather you lose a dollar than lose $10,000. So spend that little bit of extra money on fees just to understand the process. Think of it as investing it into your own education. Because, you know, if this isn't going anywhere, then you're going to be ahead of a lot of people and you're going to be helping others as well. And that's part of it, right? We want to pass down the baton and we want to make this technology, you know, more legitimized than it already is. And so we need to do the right thing and look after each other. I love that so much. Thank you so much for joining us, Chris. We will pop everything in the show notes for people to find you. But if someone wants to buy a wallet right now, where can they head to? Uh, They can head directly to our website, www.coinstock.io, and they'll find everything that's there. Obviously, we're in a bull season, so stock is really, really difficult to come by. A lot of our manufacturers are actually, they, they can't make these wallets fast enough. So some wallets have a bit of a lead time at the moment, depending on obviously when you're listening to this. But the most up-to-date information is on our product pages. If you have any questions, reach out to us on our support. We're usually pretty quick to answer. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. It's been amazing. No worries. Thanks for having me, Alicia. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon. 